You know what that is, don't you? The school bell. It's me, Cindy. And am I the only one who still gets that huge wave of sense memory washing over me when it's time to go back to school? A mixture of dread, panic, and summer's over already sadness. Does everybody feel that way? I can almost taste it. If I could, it would taste like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and smell like magic markers. Or later, locker rooms. But I can't even locker rooms. Yeah, you're just hitting your awkward teens. Come on in, change clothes in front of a bunch of strangers. What insensitive masochist thought that up? They really should have saved that as the threat. If you break the rules, you'll have to undress and shower in front of everybody. I'll be good, I'll be good. It's been umpteen years since I was forced, against my will, to go to school. Elementary was okay. I learned reading and writing, two skills that served me well. But by the time I hit middle school, which was called junior high at the time, why'd that get changed? I don't know. It was just torture. Even elementary school had a couple of too many rules and regulations for my taste. Here we were, just little kids, six, seven, eight. In my elementary school, we weren't allowed to talk at lunch. Lunch had the potential for being the most fun, next to recess, given that my mom put a lot of thought into packing my lunchbox. There was the occasional hot dog in a thermos, so it was still warm. Once in a while, sandwiches cut into shapes with a cookie cutter. I did that, the cookie cutter sandwiches, sometimes for my girls. But you can only do that while they're young enough to still be charmed, before the hormonal hostility hits, making them cynical and prone to dislike most or all of what you do. Eh, it's a cost of parenting. Little notes in lunchboxes are a very sweet idea, if you ask me. They kind of help boost self-esteem, reminding them they're loved, give them a little support while they're away from home. Love's a big player in building self-esteem, I think. There was that dad who tucked a cute, loving, supportive note in his son's lunchbox every single day, which would have been way more charming if he wasn't sharing the daily message on social media, which sort of tainted it for me, maybe just because I'm still in that cynical phase. I mean, did he do it for his son, or did he do it so he would be, like, internet famous, which could lead to a morning appearance on the Today Show? Anyway, the point is you can use the lunchbox as a messenger to help cheer and bolster and feed your kid, but only till they're about 10 or 11. After that, all bets are off. On the other hand, you can bake them chocolate chip cookies on the first day of school, which my best friend Lane did every single year till her boys were out of school. Even now, a dollar says she's at least thinking about baking and delivering them today. In elementary school, it was purely bring your own lunch. But you could buy that little container of ice cream, which I did as often as I could pry the money out of my mom. And moving up to the new school meant adjusting to lockers and changing classes. It also meant the cafeteria, where I had more than my fair share of hamburgers and those delightful huh, English muffin pizzas and my very first tater tots. Yes, I fell in love with tater tots in middle school. Don't ask me why I never had them before that. Let a sheltered life. Anyway, back to how we couldn't talk during lunchtime in elementary school. I'm thinking now, was it just too noisy for those lunch ladies? Nobody said. Nobody said anything. We weren't allowed. So my best friend at the time, Roxanne, she and I figured out a way to get around it. We learned sign language so we could spell out words. So while we couldn't talk, we could at least still continue to communicate. But no, can you believe the lunch ladies put the kibosh on that too? They just expanded the definition of talking. They said it included with your hands. Yeah. That triggers another memory. One time in second grade, Roxanne and I were publicly humiliated 
forced to get up in front of the class and write, I will not talk in class, however many times, on the blackboard. Only I really wasn't all that disturbed because writing on the board was fun. So take that, Mrs. Fuller. Try to teach me a lesson. Clearly, that didn't work. I still talk in class. So the first couple of years were marred but not miserable. There was the joy of picking out the cool lunchbox and getting the new box of crayons. Please, can I have the 64 with the crayon sharpener? I don't think I ever actually used the crayon sharpener, but I love getting a bonus. Plus, 64 different colors to choose from. Some of them, like, you know, burnt umber, who needs that? But cornflower blue. That was a home run. And the gold and silver and copper made my little heart skip a beat. Every year was accompanied still by the bucket of social stress, crayons or no crayons. Who would I know in class? Would there be any cute boys sometimes? There was Terry Martin in second grade and Greg Stevenson in seventh. I swear I still remember their names. They made that big an impression on my little heart. I was always a girl with my eye out for romance. But by the time I hit junior high... The fashion agony took over, and it was, what was I going to wear the first day? Today, I would tell my younger self not to worry about it. I'd point out that everybody else is going to be so focused on how they look, they're not going to pay much attention to you. But I don't know that my younger self would have listened. She pretty much had a mind of her own. Like I said, reading and writing have served me well. But by junior high, which you've probably figured out by now is not a time I look back on fondly, blame the mean girls, mean teachers, too many rules, and... Home ec? Yeah, you didn't have a choice then. Girls took home economics and learned to sew. I made an apron, and we learned to bake. I made a baked Alaska. Two skills not only did I have little interest in mastering, but neither of which has served me well in my adult life. Had any of the classes focused on recipes with three ingredients or less, I might have gained something and paid more attention, but no. In high school, I suppose it was my own fault I didn't get involved in theater or music or something that would have been fun. I just plodded through the classes led by teachers who were way more bored than I was. It's a recipe for disaster. I did learn that. I remember high school orientation and the vice principal getting up in front of this enormous auditorium packed with kids and their parents and saying, these next four years will be the best years of your life. And even before those years began, sitting in that auditorium sweating that September day, I knew he was lying, or at least wrong, and I was 100% correct. But I did learn to read and love books. In my tiny little elementary school library, I first discovered Henry VIII. I really lost my head over his history. And Jack the Ripper. I don't even know how to explain that, but in my defense, I think that fascination was short-lived. I also fell in love with more child-friendly Charlotte's Web, the Mrs. Piggle Wiggle series, which was both adorable and funny. In junior high, I went through a big Agatha Christie, Phyllis Whitney murder mystery stage. Kind of gives you a little peek into my psyche at that point. In high school, I discovered Dorothy Parker and James Thurber, some writers from the 1930s. Read her short story on waiting for a phone call from a guy. It is painful, but perfect. As far as Thurber, you can read anything of his. Plus, he's got a whole bunch of stuff that has to do with dogs, which is pretty funny. Kurt Vonnegut, if nothing else, read a few of the short stories in his anthology, Welcome to the Monkey House. And since then, in part because my daughter Catherine fell in love with them and partly because I then did too, I've read all the Harry Potter books. 
I read lots of other fiction occasionally, but I'm usually disappointed by the inevitability of an ending where she and he wind up together. Like the whole ending is contingent on them winding up together. My inner feminist gets, you know, rankled. Like that is the best possible way a story could end. You think about the difference how most fiction geared to men is about mystery and courage and adventure. And women mostly hunt for happiness found in getting the guy. A couple of years back, that really struck me. I was reading a Terry McMillan book called I Almost Forgot About You. I'm buzzing along. I'm 100% in. I'm following the story about a woman who's starting a new life and rediscovers her deep love for art and finds herself. However, hold the applause. She also finds a man. Couldn't the story have had the love of art as the big get? I was so disappointed. I just read another book by the prolific Ann Tyler. She's written Accidental Tourist and a million other stories. This one is a retelling of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew called Vinegar Girl. It got good reviews and recommendations. I figured it could be interesting. Got it out of the library, read along, waiting for Kate to have that epiphany that she was great on her own, that she didn't need a man, that she wasn't missing anything. Yeah, that didn't happen. I don't want to spoil the story in case you want to read it, but suffice to say she did not go solo into the sunset. But then there's one book that I found, finally, found and ripped through, a book by a woman who has decided at 40 years old that she will not be getting married or having children. It's pretty interesting as she, you know, reasons with it and looks at that spot in society and what shapes your ideas. And it's just as interesting to think that it makes a compelling subject for a book, given that I cannot put my finger on a single edition of any book written by a man where he's got to contemplate whether he's going to get married and have kids because society expects him to. I mean, it's 2018, isn't it? Anyway, it's called No One Tells You This by Glynis McNichol. It's M-A-C-N-I-C-O-L. I recommend it, obviously. If you know of any other, she doesn't get the guy because she doesn't care about getting a guy because she's got a great life already books, please let me know. The world needs a couple of more books about women that aren't relying on a man for a happy ending. Really. Mostly, with only the occasional detour into fiction or a decent dog book, only nothing bad can happen to the dogs, which really limits that category. I read self-help books. I've read so many now that in many cases the advice is a repeat of what I've already learned from other books. But most of the time there's at least one little morsel of value. That said... I'm very selective with what I'll actually invest my time in. So I signed up to get monthly emails from goodreads.com. It's a good source of new books, but red alert, it is where I heard about Vinegar Girl, so you can't just assume all their recommendations are really that good. In this month's email, suggestions broken down by category, I spot these new self-help books. Off the clock, feel less busy while getting more done. 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, and Your Best Year Ever, A Five-Step Plan for Achieving Your Most Important Goals. What do they all have in common? I'll tell you. They all sound like too much work, right? Now, I love a good self-help book, but the ones I like most and that I find most interesting are the ones that explain what causes a certain behavior or pattern and how to change it, or one that helps me discover some new approach to life a new theory, a new tool, or a new idea that I can put to work. That kind of stuff makes my brain sizzle in a good way. I could write up a list of my favorite self-help books and post them on Facebook if you're interested. Every book on that list will be one that had a lasting impact. 
and certainly not every book I've read can say that. I figure that now with all the advice I've read and sifted through and sampled and sorted, I could write my own. So I have some titles. Let me know what you think of these. How about, stay in your pajamas if you want, loving the slacker life. How about, no, you are the problem. (laughs) I, I just love that title. How to avoid conversation, faking sleep on mass transit. Another one that I'm crazy about. Lowering the bar. <laughs> and this one, which I, I can't take any credit for. It was on a keychain I had once, but I always thought it was hilarious. All my life, I wanted to be somebody. Now, who the hell was it? That would be a, a journal of self-discovery. <laughs> and I have an idea for what I'm calling the joy series. The joy of being the grown-up. You can't make me. The joy of being the parent. Because I said so. The joy of being the boss, do it my way. The joy of being the driver, we'll leave when I'm ready. The joy of being the passenger, comfortable nap positions in an SUV. The joy of always being right. Or this one, which I think will be destined for a bestseller list. Cake for breakfast and other ways to start the day on a high note. And you know, none will involve school. Now I'm just waiting for a publishing deal. Oh, geez, there's the bell. Gotta go.